2 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we find ourselves this morning. And got a couple people out sick today, so I want to pray for them as well before we start. So let's go before the Lord and uh, pray for them. Father, we do also come before you this morning, Lord, and pray for those that are sick. We think of specifically um, Carl and Thomas, Lord, that you would bless them and be with them and heal them, Lord. And, you know, they're both struggling with some uh, painful things, Lord. So we ask that you would touch them this morning and, and bless them and restore them to us, Father, and heal them and uh, really just bless them today, Father. And then again, we also ask that you would just move by your spirit, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as we're making our way through the New Testament on Sunday mornings, and we are in the second chapter of Corinthians, and just so you might give us a, a little reminder of where we've been and where uh, you know, Paul's going to be writing about going and not going and showing up and not showing up. We kind of talked about that last time. Um, he didn't, uh, he, he said he'd go or he planned on going to meet them again, but it, it didn't work out. And we'll talk about that as we go through the, the chapter here. But just so you know a little bit, again, here's the ancient world and Paul's day. Um, and I just want to call out to the bold, all capital names. Those are areas in the Roman Empire. And you can see down where uh, Greece would be, uh, Acacia, uh, and then Macedonia, and then Asia over there, Galatia, uh, and Syria, all those other names over there that are kind of in bold um, are the areas there. So when, we, when he talks about where he's going, you can see a little bit uh, where he talks about when he will talk about going to Macedonia here and a couple other things, you kind of get a little sense from where they are. Um, and then, you know, this was Paul's plan. He was leaving Ephesus, going to Troas, going to head on over, uh, you know, into that Macedonian area, you know, make his way farther into what we know as Europe today. Um, and again, he was going to head that way, but he thought he would stop by, you know, Corinth on the way, and here's another map just kind of gives you an idea, maybe sail to Corinth and go up, uh, go up that way and then go out and then come back and go through. That's what he originally kind of told them, but as he explained in the first chapter, and actually he'll talk about it a few times, he'll talk about it now a little bit, this the Lord prevented him from going there, and uh, he kind of explains why. He, he kind of gets the understanding why the Lord did that as we go through the book here. So just so you get a little sense of where it is and, in, in, uh, you know, give you a little perspective of where this all kind of happened in the world today, or in that day, I should say, where it is, what we look like on the map. But uh, really, the, the were wonderful guys that put in the, the chapter breaks, kind of put this, if you notice, most of yours have it kind of mid-sentence or mid-paragraph. So we'll pick it up actually at verse 23 of chapter 1 because it kind of all rolls together there. And so let's read there. It says, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says, I call God as my witness that in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your, over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. But I determined... Uh, but I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but when, the one who has I made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So again, you know, Paul originally wanted, after he heard from Titus, you know, he wanted to to go to Corinth and and you know and kind of talk to them and see them. That was kind of his heart um, when Titus returned from delivering the from delivering the letter and told them what happened. But as we were told, and as he kind of explained here a little bit, the door wasn't open. And now, if you would, Paul, I believe, sees the Lord's hand 
in all of that. So in other words, Paul was, he knew there were some, you know, remember uh, Chloe's house sent him some information, there, there were some problems there, there was also some questions, he answered that. And I think really technically there's actually four letters to the Corinthian church, uh, if we were to count them. Most people believe it's about four. Um, we talked about one that was very clearly talked about in chapter one uh, in my previous letter, so we know there was that one. And it seems from other writings as we go through here, there was another letter as well. And, and again, it just doesn't mean that everything that Paul wrote down was inspired uh, Word of God. There was certain things that were inspired and really just used Paul as a, you know, as a scribe to write them down, uh, and and they were inspired. And there was probably a lot more that wasn't. And of course, uh, only two of them make it into the Word of God because that's all the Lord intended. The other letters weren't intended to be within our scriptures or were inspired by the Lord. Um, to do that. And so he did talk about going and wanting to go. And again, he, he, he couldn't go. And now he kind of sees, as he says here, you know, okay, I, I realize why I couldn't go. Um, and, and, you know, he sees the Lord's hand in all of his not being able to go. He wanted to go. He wanted to make things cleaned up. He, married, he told him, you know, I love you guys. I, 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 I'm glad I wrote the letter. I want you guys to, you know, hear about it. But I didn't want to have to come in the midst of all that when you guys were trying to figure it all out and arguing, should we do this, should we not do this, and all this kind of stuff. Because when you guys are, everything's going good, it just brings me so much joy. And when you guys are not doing good, it just really brings me down. I, I get joy from you guys. And it just, you can kind of see that the love that Paul had for the church there in Corinth. And, and I like, you know, because most of the time when the Lord kind of frustrates, if you would, our plans, and I think Paul's plan certainly was to go to Corinth, but as I said, he didn't let them, and you know, we have to kind of think of ourselves, how many times have we kind of planned something, or wanted to do something, or go somewhere, or do something in some way, and then all of a sudden it just seems like we can't, it just doesn't happen, it doesn't keep going, and you know, they don't work out, and you know, we can become um, frustrated, and then at the time, but Usually at some point later on, we can, we can kind of step back and say, oh, I see the Lord's hand and all that. He was really moving. Uh, I, I thought this was a great thing. This is what should happen. This was a wonderful thing. And then, you know, uh, great and wonderful. And then, you know, when I'm frustrated because it's not working out, then you get, you know, kind of frustrated. Then, But later on, it's like, oh, I get, Lord, what you were doing there. Thank you very much for doing that. Um, and uh, I, I think of the, when we first moved up here, um, we moved into a house, uh, and this was 2003, end of 2003, beginning of 2004, and that's, of course, you know, prices started, to, real estate prices going up, and we moved into this house that was settling funny, you know, it was just not quite, it was a very beautiful custom home, but, you know, like, the, the foundations were settling and sloping, and it, the walls didn't line up, you couldn't open some of the doors, it was kind of a a funky thing, but it was a beautiful house. It really was a beautiful house, but, you know, it had been rented out for so many years, you know, it had kind of been trashed a little bit, but, you know, here we thought, well, maybe we can, you know, fix it up, get a great deal on this thing, and, and you know, put money into it, and then, you know, we'll have a place to, you know, call our own up here, but as we tried, it just didn't work out, and I have to admit, we were a little frustrated. We thought, man, this was, you know, be a good deal, and we'd work it out, and it didn't, and only to see, you know, God's hand in all that, you know, later on. At the time, it was like, okay, Lord, why aren't you doing this? So we had to move to uh, a townhouse, you know, off of uh, Vista Montana. Yeah, right, had to move over there. And then, you know, we're over there, and we're there for a while. And, you know, the guy offers us to, to, to buy it, you know, kind of at the height of the market. And we're like, no, that's just way too much money for a townhouse. This is, you know, too much. And... You know, then only to find out that, you know, uh, you know, he hadn't been making the payments. And then we got, you know, essentially got evicted from there because the bank had repossessed it. And, you know, but all that so the Lord could move us into the house that he had us to do it, in, to, to be in. And again, going through those processes just for that was very frustrating at times, you know, when we're in the middle of it. But looking back at it, we said, oh, man, I'm glad that didn't work out. I'm glad, you know, that didn't happen. And Lord, you know, it's so great to work in 
what you did and moved into, oh, what was just right. And you look back and you see the Lord's hand and, you know, stopping and not making things work out and all that um, because he's working for our good. And that's exactly what Paul recognizes now. I, I wasn't there because it wasn't time for me to be there. You know, I would have to go there and address all these corrections, and then there would be sorrow because what I had to do, I had to speak these things to you. And rather than come and have joy in the Lord and see how you're doing and encourage you, you know, with my walk, you know, it had just been a big bummer. And, um, you know, again, you know, it's, it's, you might have known what it's like if you've been around and been, you know, in church leadership um, you know, sometimes you have to address these things that are super, super uncomfortable. Um, you know, talk to people about things that are way off and, uh, you know, uh, that, that you have to do because it's of the Lord. I remember, you know, very early on that, you know, I uh, was just kind of getting into church leadership and, you know, somebody, one family said something about me and I thought it was kind of odd um, you know, it was kind of in the sense, oh, you should maybe be pastor. And I thought, where did that ever come from? And, uh, and so I told it to, uh, you know, a couple of the, the pastors and they're like, oh man, that's not a good thing. And they saw a lot behind all that, which I didn't really recognize at the time. And, you know, the, uh, the, one of them had to go talk to this family, which was very difficult to do. It needed to be done, but it was very difficult to do. And, and if you've had to do that before, um, you know how hard that is. And there's really, you know, in the midst of it, you seemingly no joy at all. And of course, you know, the family left and, you know, you know, as, as nice as you present it and as honest as you are, it just, you know, those things, pride usually comes in. And so uh, he knew if he had to go do something like that, it would just be very difficult for all of them. So what Paul did was he, you know, the Lord, you know, realized what he do is to send another letter. And I like that idea. And, and, and I think it has great application for us today. Um, you know, sometimes you need to talk to a person and you have to say some stuff that's pretty difficult or, or important and it needs to be said. But, you know, if you talk to a person, they, they feel like they have to address it right then and there. They feel like they have to answer you, either say no or dig their heels in deeper or, you know, uh, dismiss you in some way. You know, there's just, there typically is that when two things coming together and there's some important corrective action that needs to take place in that way or some important things they need to consider. But, you know, if you send a, in our day, I guess, an email or a text message or something, the great thing, or in this day, a letter, what it did was, you know, it gives a person to, to sit to, to read it, and then they don't have to respond right away, right? They can sit on it, they can allow the Holy Spirit to work in their heart. There's some time there, give them time to move by the, the Holy Spirit. There's no immediate pressure to give an answer, and they can digest it. And, and again, I think it has a great benefit as well in our day and age. And, you know, you can kind of pour your heart out and just still writing something down, certainly. Or, again, there's electronic means of sending something personally to somebody. And, you know, it gives them time to digest it and allow the Holy Spirit to work. And they, you know, don't have to respond right away. And I think there's some great wisdom there. And certainly that's what happened here in this case. He gave them time to think over, um, you know, what they had done. And then he sends another letter to see how things are going. Well, verse 4 says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Um, you know, again, uh, we see how good it was that the Lord, you know, held up Paul and didn't have him go and had him write this other letter to you know, give them a little bit of room, a little bit of space, in this case to repent and to get their act together, if you would, or to do what's right. 
Okay, so they hear it, they read this, you know, they get all that, and they say all that, and okay, we need to do this, this happened, okay, this, and then, you know, you think about it first, maybe you get mad, or who is he, and this is that, blah, 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 you know, you know, all this kind of stuff, but then, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of works in their heart, and then, yeah, okay, I see, and okay, yeah, and then, okay, we do need to do this, so, so really what it does is gives them time and a little room and some space to really repent in their case and get their act together and to do what's right. And we can see the true heart of a man of God here. You know, you can see the love. He had to address the issues that were wrong. But notice this. He did it with heart of love and with compassion. And that makes all the difference in the world. I really do, you know. Because we can find ourselves either avoiding the issues or addressing them by coming down hard. You know, typically that's how most of us operate with difficult things. You know, either we just ignore them and hopefully it'll go away, or we just, you know, you know, land the space shuttle on them. <laughs> you know, we just come down hard and this got to take care of it. And this, 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 and this, and this, you know, clean up the whole thing and go. You know, it's like, you know, a rocket landing in the middle of all that, right? It's just, you know, it's just stuff flying everywhere. Um, but that wasn't Paul's heart. He had to address it, so he didn't want to avoid it, and yet he didn't want to come down and just, you know, blow everything up, so to speak. And I thought, you know, that's the true heart of a great spiritual person. And again, uh, you know, John 4.24 reminds us of this, that, you know, God's a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So, you know, we have to love God in spirit, but there has to be this element of truth in there as well. And that's working with each other, right? There has to be that truth. Um, that's how we worship Him. It has to be true. It has to be real. It has to be honest, if you would. Uh, and obviously, in the Holy Spirit, we're worshiping on that realm. But when we deal with each other, and God deals with us that way, and we deal with Him that way, we have to do that with each other as well. We have to... Uh, love in the truth and, and be loving by speaking the truth. Of course, there's that great proverb that says, you know, something very close to, to that, and that, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, again, faithful are the, you know, wounds of a friend. A, a true friend is going to make sure that you're not you know, going off the wrong path or heading down the wrong thing or getting yourself into trouble or not seeing this, you know, uh, issues or all the things that you are, a true friend will come and love, love you by telling the truth and speaking it to you because they're your friend. They care about, about you and they don't want to see things happen. There, there's a love there. There's, a, you know, a connection there. Now, nobody wants a wound. Everybody wants a kiss, Right? You know, it will hurt when the friend speaks the truth to you sometimes, and it'll maybe make you upset or hurt you in some way. But having a kiss, well, that's a great thing, right? But a person who, who knows that you're heading on the wrong path or, and, you know, making some wrong decisions and then just chooses not to do anything or just say, okay, you know, I know this is... Um, you know, not going to work out. I can see all the problems of this, and, you know, I can see where the Lord's, you know, this is going to flop off the edge of a cliff and everything, but, hey, have a great time. I hope everything goes well with you. You know, God bless you. Uh, you know, that's deceitful. And we'd rather have the kiss than the wound, but the wound is what's really important to us and really needed, uh, and the kiss is what deceives us and lulls us into that sense of everything's going to be okay. And you could tell who is faithful, who is true to us, and who's not. And the reverse, right? Who we're really true to, who we really care about, and who we don't. You know, it's easier to give the kiss, right? And, oh, we'll stay friends, there won't be any argument, there won't be any problems, there won't be this and that, so we just kind of kiss them um, when they really need the truth, and it's going to wound them and hurt them, but they need the truth. This is important things to remember, and that's certainly what Paul is doing here by great example. Now, he's going to deal with some of the things he wrote in the first letter here in verse 5, and it says this, But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Not to be too severe, 
This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought to rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Now, you know, this seems to be, and, and it seems to be to me, uh, you know, fits very closely and very nicely with what Paul instructed them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You might remember that story where there was a guy in the church and he was living with and sleeping with his stepmom. And remember all that? Paul says, you know, uh, rather than celebrate that, you should be brokenhearted about it. You should be addressing that. You, you guys had this attitude like, you know, look at us. We, we accept everybody here. You know, you can do this. You can live like that. You can be that way. And that's okay. You can still come to church. And hey, we're all in this together kind of a thing. And Paul said, man, that is so wrong. <laughs> so wrong on so many levels. And you need to take care of this. And he talks about a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump, how that will influence everything and all the problems. You guys need to, in love, say, you can't come to church, you know, you can't hang around us until, you, you know, you see how wrong this is, repent from this and turn from this, and then, you know, uh, then you're going to be welcomed back. But it's so wrong, you can't be living that way and being here. And, you know, again, they went out and, and, and you know, discipline is so important. It, it just, it really is. Paul was telling that to them. He was reminding that it's important in the home, it's important in the church. Uh, but if it's lacking, you know, it's really lacking at home and in the church. You know, at home, discipline takes, it's work, it takes time, it's not easy. It's just easier to go with the flow and to not care and to do all this stuff. You know, it's just easy in our lives not to discipline. It just, in some ways, we just like to gloss it over because it's just, the easier path to take. And I, I think um, I was just reading this yesterday, these charts, um, talking about kids and electronic devices. And I think this is one of the ways that we just, you know, don't address things and don't address discipline and don't address, you know, interaction with them. And you could see this is just, you know, pre really the uh, COVID thing. Um, and, and you look at, you know, child from zero to two, 31% of them are on some kind of, you know, smartphone, um, you know, and under the age of five, what is that? 60%, right? Engaging with a smartphone. And, you know, now they make these little baby tablets that you can hold up even before it's a smartphone, right? It's just amazing how many, um, now that's just being passed along to, you know, since, since they could look, I mean, I was, um, I forgot where we were. We were somewhere where, you know, walking, there's this little guy in the stroller. I mean, less than a year old, uh, me, I don't know, eight, nine months and you know, just a little baby to me. And there's this, you know, little device sitting there in the stroller where this little baby, you know, little guy could see this, you know, Instead of looking around, all the great things that, that were going on outside, whether that was trees or whatever, you know, wherever we were, you know, they were, they're focused on the screen. And, and parents are doing that, you know, at a very young age because most parents today were focused on a screen, although it was a much bigger screen and it was a TV screen. You know, that's what they were raised on. And things, it's just easier not to care and just pass a screen along. Now, again, this was just you know, just the beginning of COVID. And if you look, um, you know, after COVID, things are just going through, the, you know, we'll start going through the, the roof. But, you know, again, this is just beginning of COVID right here. You know, 80% of kids have basically watched YouTube most of the time. And uh, again, looking at their devices, you know, daily use of all those things and internet of that. And then if you go to you know, pretty much um, a little bit after COVID, and, and again, COVID wasn't end because this is like April 2021. We're still kind of coming down off COVID. But, you know, the, look at all the lines pointing up. That means things are going from 31% used to 51, 28 to 42. And you can see all those lines, you know, 68% to, to 81. I mean, all the lines are going up. And what COVID did was just shot 
the use of electronic devices out the roof. And we're not talking about for school. I mean, we're just talking about to be on it continually. And here's what it is, that people are just, children are being raised online. You know, a generation ago, they were, they were raised on television, television shows. Now it's online. And, and that's what they're getting fed. And it's easier for parents to just kind of live their life and let their children live their own life and not to interact and, you know, discipline and be a part of all those things. Then you just kind of sweep it under the rug. Everybody kind of gets, al- gets along and, you know, we, we go from there. And, and sadly, that's even translating over in the church. You know, today's age, and back in Corinth, there was one church to go to, uh, and when Paul was writing this, um, but today, people just get mad. They don't like something. Somebody smiles at them wrong or doesn't smile at them or this or that. You know, they just go to the next church, and, you know, they just move on. And, uh, again, it has an effect on the body. And, you know, they just don't choose to repent. They just choose to hear somebody that will finally accept what they're doing or how they're living or what they want to believe or what they want to say, and they'll just snuggle up and call that home. Nobody's going to, you know, um, you know, say anything to them, know too much about them, not understand what's going on. And, you know, that's why the bigger churches tend to get bigger and the smaller churches tend to stay small. And for the most part is because most people general terms, you know, don't want to know anybody. They want to slide in for church and slide out, not get too close to too many people, maybe a few people, but slide in, slide out so that they, you know, there's no pressure on them. Nobody knows what they do when they're not there. Every, you know, they have their own kind of thing and nobody's going to call them at it. If they miss a week or two or a month, nobody's really going to notice. If they go once a month, you know, nobody's going to notice. A smaller church, obviously people will know more of the people, if not all the people, and they don't like that pressure. They don't like to put themselves uh, in that place where somebody might know how they really are, <laughs> sadly. And, uh, you know, that's just lost today. It's just lost. But Paul was willing to do that. But there also was, you notice, he also says for the person that really repents and receives what's told them and realizes, oh yeah, that is wrong. This isn't of the Lord. Oh yeah, we shouldn't be doing this. And they repented. And then Paul says, you need to forgive them and comfort them and welcome them back in, into to the body. I, I know of a number of people and experience over church over the years. They started coming to church. They were living together. And I'm talking about, you know, uh, heterosexual, homosexual, you know, seen them both, you know, they were living together, that they get saved, or they got saved, and now they're starting to come to church, or they got saved at church, and, you know, but they're still living together, they're, you know, still that whole component of it, and, you know, weeks go on, then months go on, and they're, you know, they're coming, they're getting engaged, and, you know, nothing's really happening on the home front, and you kind of know what's going on on the home front, because you've spent time with them, and there comes a point where, okay, they're just not getting it or they don't want to get it or something along those lines. And you have to step up and say, listen, you guys, you guys just need to move out. If you're going to walk with the Lord and you're going to, you know, really be at peace and at love and do what he's called you to do, you guys just need to separate and, uh, you know, and not be together. And, and the great Christian you know, brothers, sisters, those that will, you know, will take that. It's not easy. It's, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with that uh, in the sense in their mind about costs, about how they feel for each other, all these kind of things. But, you know, it's amazing. I've seen so many, not so many, but I've seen a number of them just, you know, when they're obedient to the Lord, they listen to that and they, and they do that, how God used them mightily and powerfully. That's just, you know, my experience and those that just didn't want to hear it. Who are you to tell me what to do kind of a thing? And then they just go off and they continue to do uh, what they were doing. And it kind of drifts away. And that's, that's pretty much the end of them from what, again, I've experienced. But what they did was they were, they were true and they addressed this here, but then they wouldn't forgive. That's another important, you know, problem. They wouldn't, okay, listen, you can't hang around with us. That's what, you know, Paul said until you, you know, because you're doing this, you're doing this. And then the guy did what was right. 
and okay, I, I repented. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, I'm not there. This and that. I'm not that. Okay. And they're like, nope, you're just a lousy sinner, man. And sorry, you just can't come back in. And Paul hears this and he says like, what? You, you know, this person repented and you need to forgive them and comfort them because that's what we do as Christians. You, you know, and, and we all sin and the Lord's faithful to correct us. And, and it's, you know, a, a lot of Christians want us to carry that around on our backs the whole Christian life. You know, there, there is those kind of, kind of in a lot of ways, self-righteous people that, oh yeah, I've never done that, I never did that, I never did that, and you're one of those persons. Whether it happened, you know, 10 years before you became a Christian or, or this or that, you know, they want you to carry around that uh, sin on your back and that they might be feel a little bit one step above you or push you down a little bit like that. And that's never supposed to be the case. We need to be people who forgive and the church did the right thing by addressing it and doing it, but they didn't take the next step, which was to forgive them. And uh, um, and I, I like Ephesians uh, 4.32 reminds us that, you know, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ uh, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I mean, that just says it all there. If we want to be forgiven, and we were forgiven, and we are forgiven, we are called to pass that along. And for some reason, you know, the Corinthian church decided not to do that. They thought, you know, holding up their guns and labeling this guy, and he's out, you know, uh, is what they should have done. But it just runs completely contrary to the forgiveness that we have been shown. Important for us to remember as well. We need to be people that, you know, forgive and love one another and are kind to one another because that's what we receive as well from the Lord. And, and then he adds this, verse 9, For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. And now Paul says, one of the reasons I did this is to see what you would do. You know, here you are, all proud of this guy, and I don't know if she showed up to church or not, but you are certainly proud of this guy, and he was doing this, and you knew about it, and you thought it was cool, and you thought how great we are, you know, to invite everybody in, and let live and let live kind of idea, and, and you know, I told you how wrong that was. What are you going to do about it? You know, are you going to stick to your guns? Are you going to dig your heels in? Or are you going to listen to what the Holy Spirit says? Are you going to, you know, hear what the Word of God has to say about those kind of things? You know, that old saying is true. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? It would be much easier for them to sweep it under the rug. Oh, I don't need to deal with it, Paul. Who are you? You know, uh, you know this or that. And it really kind of comes down to this. What's more important to you? You know, taking care of discipline, taking care of things, doing what's right, addressing those things in love with forgiveness. And what's more important, your comfort, what people think of you, or the Lord? You know, that's the choice he left kind of with the church. What's more important to you, to, to stick in your, your pride and your idea that look how great we are as a church and this and that? and all this, and, and then if I address it, are you going to sweep it under the rug because, you know, you want to stand firm in that? What You know, I don't want to deal with it, and I, I care about what people think about me. Or the Lord, what's more important? Him or my own personal feelings about these things and my own personal comfort? And, you know, we have to make that decision. You know, what's more important to us? Being true and honest and loving in the Lord or our own comfort and our own care of what people think about us if we were to say something or do something we know the Lord would want us to. Again, with love and with the intent of forgiveness and welcoming back and all those things mixed in there. But it's still difficult to do in, in any case. And Paul is saying, let's see what you would do. What's more important to you? And then he adds this in, in verse 10. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one 
of your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And again, we, we've talked about this, you know, not being ignorant about the, the schemes of, of Christ, his, his devices, his way of doing things. But here's, you know, Paul's reminding him, here's, here's what the devil does, right? It's his play. He's got a few plays in his playbooks, but they are so well, they're so very well-worn and very successful. So first what happens is the devil, you know, lures somebody to, to get them to sin, Right? And not only that, but when they sin, he makes them feel bad about their sin. And, and then, you know, to cause division among believers concerning this issue of sin. You know, it makes them feel bad, but they don't want to change or they don't like it or they don't want to be called out as this and that. So he makes them kind of dig in their heels a little bit more. And he says, listen, that's their playbook. And part of the playbook of, of Satan is unforgiveness. You know, that's the devil's territory. When we can't forgive, you know, you're, you're moving in, I'm moving in on what the devil does, you know, and it's been used by the devil very effectively. Unforgiveness is the territory uh, which the devil operates, and that's some place we never want to be. We need to be those that forgive. Obedient, yes, but also forgive, because if we don't, and if you guys don't as a church to this guy and this is what's going on, you're just inviting the devil in. You know, you invited, you, you first invited him through the front door with, uh, you know, allowing him to be there, but then you're not going to forgive, you're allowing him in the back door. Either way, he's getting in if you if you're, aren't, aren't careful and you go either from one end to the other end. Something he does very, very effectively is put un, in, unforgiveness in our hearts. And we feel dead right in standing there. Not a good place to be. Well, now he tells a little bit more about what happened to him and how he got there. He's going to kind of spend this really all the way through chapter... Uh, well, he's going to spend quite a few chapters talking about what happened to him here. So he's kind of switching gears here. Verse, or verse 12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was open." Uh, to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God. And I want to hold there. What you know, Paul had sent that letter to them. Back to this, right? He had sent that letter through Titus, but he hadn't heard back from Titus. So now he's kind of going back in the story here. How did it go? Was it good? Was it bad? Did they receive it? You know, um, you know, uh, um, you know. Again, the circumstances were not comfortable. Paul, you know, couldn't explain all the details and disappointments he had. You know, but he didn't stay in Troas, even though notice that it says here there was an open door of ministry. When, when do you ever know, of all we know of Paul the Apostle, not taking an opportunity for a door of ministry being open to him? I mean, to me, that just says a ton right there, right? It really says a lot about him. You know, I, 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 there was a door open. He could have ministered there, but he didn't find Titus. He didn't know what was going on in the Corinthian church. You know, he just couldn't you know, stay focused on the door of ministry open because he wanted to know how everything went. And he knew God was in control, but he hadn't, you know, he still had this turmoil inside of him. You know, it wasn't comfortable. He couldn't just, you know, uh, uh, move on and everything until he had seen what happened, how they resolved everything, and, you know, uh, you know, understand the detours of why he couldn't go there, the disappointments and all this kind of stuff. He knew God was in control, but he still wasn't, you know, uh, settled by it all. I like this, this quote, and it says, As though a deep depression was not enough, the situation in Ephesus blew up, and Paul found himself engulfed in circumstances which were so threatening, he despaired even of escaping with his life. And then Paul went to Troas. So we know that he left Ephesus because there was a big riot, right? And he could have gone into this great door uh, that was open to him, you know, uh, 
And, but he didn't. He, he didn't see Titus. This door opened to him. He had to leave. It was difficult. Again, things were crashing down around him, and things weren't going bad after the whole, whole Ephesus deal and all that's going on. He is really concerned and had a love for the Corinthian church, and it was really on, their, on his heart what was happening with them. Now, this is an interesting side of Paul, right? that's not often seen in other letters that we hear about him, right? He had this wide open door in Troas, you know, because he cared for one man, Titus, and he cared for, you know, the information that he was going to bring about one church in Corinth, you know, he, he, he couldn't continue to move on with that and move forward. But you can see that, you know, he wasn't this guy like, oh, yeah, God laid out the plan and he was just crossing them off his list. Okay, check, did that, check, did that, check, did this. Sometimes we think, you know, God just gave him a, a map and said, okay, here's the places to stop and you keep going and go there and then you're going to go there. You know, we think it just kind of all laid out in front of him. But, you know, he had it hard. Again, he, he would talk about in, in this letter specifically more than anything else, any, any place else, how he was having a hard time, that he would get depressed, if you would, in, in that sense, the word we would use today. Situations were kind of blowing up, and, you know, he was a little at loss, what should happen next, or what's going to go next, you know? He, he definitely had a singleness of heart that he was going to move forward in the Lord, but that doesn't mean that everything was comfortable and wonderful and great, you, you know? He's even leaving this place of, uh, of effective service where he could have, you know, shared the gospel, maybe planted a church there or encouraged the church that just maybe started there. It doesn't tell us exactly what, what you know, he could have done there, but assuming that's what he did in other places. But one thing we could know, when we feel like this with Paul, or Paul feels like this, when we feel like this, again, one thing we can always go back on and we can be uh, rest assured with as you know, we love God, we want to do His will, that's our heart's desire, you know, then Romans 8, 28 should pop into our head, you know. We know that those who love God, you know, uh, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. And, and you know, and, and Paul understood this, obviously, you know, the Lord used him to pen that, but everything, you know, he's going to work it all out for good. That doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulties and heartbreaks and twists and turns along the road, but we can be sure that God is going to work everything out for good. We can be rest assured of that, certainly. And, and Paul says, now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. I, I, this is this is pretty cool. We all have a fragrance, <laughs> if you would. A little more crudely, we all have a body odor, right? But it's not the one produced by our glands in our skin and all those things, if you will. You know, either we have, if you would, the smell of life or the smell of death, right? Now, again... Uh, you know, it's not something you can sprinkle on and then, you know, you've, you know, you know, you, you smell good like cologne or perfume or something like that. Um, one is the fragrance. This is what call, Paul, how he calls it. It's the fragrance of Christ working in a person's life. And of course, displayed by the fruits of the spirit. There's this fragrance about you. There's this you know, uh, something about you when you walk into a room or you're doing this or you're doing that, there's something about you that's different. Um, the fragrance of Christ. H have you ever just, you know, talked to a person or run across a person and you just kind of know they're a believer? It's the fragrance, you know? I, I just, you know, there's something about that person. I, I, I just, you know, I bet they're a believer. I bet they're a Christian. You know, maybe you don't get a chance to talk to them very much. You interacted with them just maybe through text or email, or maybe you just 
talked to them on the phone or just met them, you know, for a brief period of time. But, you know, you're, you're left behind with that feeling, man, there's some, I, I bet they're Christians, you know. And that's the fragrance, if you would, that, that they bring uh, in their presence. Or, or just the opposite, you know, have you ever gone to a friend's house or, you know, family house or, you know, and, and um, you know, all of a sudden you feel like, man, I come in here and there's just going to be, everybody's going to be, you know, uh, you know, or people you might, you know, knows how you go someplace and they're like, uh, they're just all waiting there and they're just waiting to kind of jump on me because I'm, I'm the Christian, you know, in the family and in, in this gathering or whatever, you know, especially as Thanksgiving's coming up in a couple of weeks, right? You know, I show up and, and, you know, there's just, you know, cousin, you know, Joey is this and Aunt Bertha is that. And, you know, you know that it's just going to be, and you walk in there and it's not like a fragrance of death, but it's like, man, this is, you know, just all these people just don't know the Lord. And, you know, it just comes out in that way. You know, they get upset and they get mad. And Paul says, listen, that's because, you know, they're either carrying around this fragrance and uh, of, of life and of Christ working in their life uh, or, you know, uh, what you smell off them is, is, is death because they've rejected all that. And Paul says, and who's sufficient for, uh, for these things? You know, who's, who's adequate for such a task? you know, for such a task. You know, we'll find out in the next chapter that, you know, uh, our sufficiency is in God. Verse 17 says, For we are not as so, many, as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And he just reminds him here, as he can continue to pick up on this theme, you know, we're not peddling or hawking or or barking, you know, like they do at a carnival or a circus. Step right up. See the amazing strongman. Or, you know, if we go to our little Santa Cruz County Fair over here, those guys in front of all those game booths, win a big prize. Hey, don't your little chai want to take home this big stuffed animal? Or, man, you could be winning this prize. You know, they're, they're barkers. They're uh, hawking, trying to get people in, you know, to see the show or to play this game or doing all this. Uh, I would say that commercials kind of qualify, ads kind of qualify for this today, right? We're not like that. We're not trying to get you to buy this or, or download this app or play this game or whatever it is. No. And, and Paul says there were some who were peddling the Word of God, but woe to them. Uh, and again, you, you know, but that wasn't our heart. You know, again, we probably won't be caught up in some, you know, television kind of evangelist that's way off course and is just peddling it for their own benefit. Send me $10,000 and God will bless you 10,000 times or whatever those people say, right? Uh, again, um, but that's not what we do. But what's crucial for us to understand, you know, whether we teach a little Bible study, teach children, you know, uh, in some way, we're used by the Lord in front of people that, you know, again, that we are accurate and we are doing what's right when we handle the Word of God. We're not going to peddle it like they are, but we got to make sure also that we are accurate with the Word of God, that we're not corrupting the Word of God, that we're not bringing our own feelings or our own agenda into what we speak and what we do when we represent God and His Word, whether it's on a very small scale or very grand scale. We don't want to bring in axes we grind, you know, that we, oh, this is something we need to talk about and we need to address. And all, we don't, you know, we just let the Word of God says for itself. We don't just launch, read a, a verse of Scripture and then launch off on a whole big thing that we want to explain to people. And all that scripture was was something to launch with. It has nothing to do with what the scripture says, or maybe it goes far beyond it or it changes it. That's not something we want to do. We who teach the word of God, whether it's to another person or to a million people or anywhere in between there, we need young, old, this or that or whatever. We need to realize that when we speak, we are representing what the Lord would say to them. Paul says we're not peddling it. We are here to represent what the Lord would say to them. And these words coming out of me are not mine but His. That people might be drawn to Him, 
that they, or they might love him more, or they might be encouraged, or there, maybe there's a correction that needs to happen, or some sort of exhortation to do uh, his will in their lives. You know, those things certainly happen with, you know, the word of God being preached. And we need to be that way, and we need to treat it that way, and we need to, as Paul said, not do any of this stuff for any other reason other than for speaking for and representing the Lord accurately, clearly, and again, for the benefit of those that we're speaking to or teaching, you know, that we are representing what the Lord would say to them and using His Word in doing so. Again, we don't want to speak theoretically, but the Lord is present when we do these things, and we need to honor Him when we do those things. I'd like to close with this last verse. Hebrews uh, 2.12 says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Uh, again, we're declaring who He is, His nature, what's all about Him through His Word, you know, uh, in, in, in the presence of a congregate, whatever is like a few, one, two, whatever it is, you know, and, and I'm going to sing your praises about it because I'm, you know, being used by you to share your word accurately and, reliable, and reliable, reliably. Uh, and again, knowing that I'm representing uh, you and what I say and what I do. And that's just so important for us all to know. And Paul said, listen, that is my only agenda. That's my only heart. I have, I have no other agenda or anything else to work out of it other than representing uh, what the Lord would say to you through me. And I just want to be that vessel and leave my opinions and my thoughts and my ways and my understandings out of it and just direct to what He would say. And that was Paul's heart, and may it be our heart as well as we share His Word. Amen? Father, we do thank You again this morning for all that you continue to do in our lives and the heart. And Lord, may we, you know, always be those people that forgive. Um, Lord, may we always be those people that, you know, don't dodge the tough things that we have to do as believers sometimes, or we have to speak the truth in love and, uh, you know, address certain things, whether it's at home or at church or with friends, family, whatever it might be, those other believers in you. And, it, it, Father, I'm not talking about correcting uh, unbelievers because th- th- that's impossible. You know, even if you get them to clean up in one area um, of this, there's just a million others. And it only takes one for them, you know, to wind up in hell. So uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're cer- certainly talking about amongst believers in the church, Lord. And, and we want to reflect all those things, whether we're teaching, whether we're instructing in some way, encouraging them, speaking the truth to them, and always with a heart of love and uh, the desire to restore things and make things even better, and always to welcome anybody erring or wandering off uh, back in with loving and open arms. Just as we've been forgiven, we need to be forgivers as well. So help us to be those people, Father, for we ask all this In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do we do okay, Etan?